0: We have been blessed with, with some new little ones lately and uh, that's, that's very exciting. It's always exciting when God has uh, young families at your church and they're uh, procreating, <laughs> growing the church from the inside. And uh, we'll have the opportunity as we're transitioning into this new year, we'll have the opportunity today to, to have what we would call a child dedication service where parents will be invited forward to dedicate themselves to the Lord, to raise their children unto the Lord. And so that's what we're focused on today. That's what we're celebrating today. Um, and uh, I'm excited about it, I really am. And uh, at RHC, we, and, and maybe maybe you don't know the differences between maybe Roman Catholicism and Presbyterianism and, and us who do not claim a uh, denomination, but there's actually differences in the Roman Catholic situation, the Presbyterian situation—they do dedicate children or babies primarily, but they do it through uh, what we would call pato or infant baptism. And we at RHC don't—we don't do that. We don't do things that way. We dedicate children rather than baptize children, and there's reason for that. The biblical uh, pattern—you never really, not really—you literally don't see in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Children being sprinkled or baptized. It, it just, it's just not there. It's nowhere. And, and that might lead some of you to think then why do some do it? I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know why anyone who names the name of Christ wants to do things that aren't biblical, including myself when I screw up. Uh, so there isn't any kind of precedent for that in Scripture. Uh, there is actually a precedent and pattern for dedication. That we do see in uh, the text that Bruce just read is, is usually recognized as the dedication of, of little baby Jesus to God. So that's a, a form of uh, child dedication. Um, we also see in the Old Testament a great example of a gal named Hannah when she dedicates little Samuel, who became a very, very powerful prophet. She Uh, dedicates little Samuel to God. We see that in 1 Samuel 1.28. In fact, when uh, Jesus was actually here during his incarnation and doing ministry, we actually see parents bringing their little ones to Jesus to dedicate those little ones to God. We see that in Matthew 19, 13 through 15. And, And as I said again, again, and again, and again, I'll stress it. We just don't have baptism the baptism of, of children or babies and you know how old can you baptize somebody well i would say when they recognize their need of a savior uh, and that could be a child uh, but usually i think uh, people are a little bit older than that when they kind of come to a more of a realization but in any case we just don't see babies or infants or anything like that being baptized and that is a point of difference between us here at rhc and roman catholics and presbyterians um, they do these sorts of things. We affirm and believe in what we call believer's baptism. This is the pattern that we actually see in Scripture, primarily the New Testament. And, I, and maybe, maybe I'll draw a distinction for you real quick. Roman Catholics, it, I know less about their mode of baptism, but I know a lot more about the Presbyterian mode. What happens here? Roman Catholics and Presbyterians get their marching orders for baptism out of the Old Testament, They parallel off of circumcision. But Christian baptism is not an Old Testament concept. It's not an Old Covenant concept. It's a New Covenant thing, a New Testament thing. And so if you get your direction for baptism from the Old Testament, which you really still can't unless you want to parallel off of circumcision, that's what you land on. But we get our marching orders from the New Testament under the New Covenant And there is a pattern in the New Testament for people believing and then being baptized. That's what we see consistently, especially in the book of Acts. A great section would be chapter 2, verse 41, where the text literally says, those who believe what Peter said, what was Peter saying? He preached the gospel. Those who believed Peter's gospel were what? baptized, and were added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So you have an order there. You have believing, and then you have baptism following it. Okay, So that is our focus. We want to be scriptural. We want to be following what the Bible clearly shows. And it does show dedication, but it does not show pedo or infant baptism. Now, before I invite parents to come forward with their children, because that'll be part of this deal. I want to take a closer look at at the dedication of Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 2, in which uh, Bruce just read a a large chunk from it, um, it's divided, the the whole chapter is divided really into four sections. In uh, verses 1 through 7, that section describes Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. Um, Verses 8 through 21 describe the birth of King Jesus. Verses 22 through 39 describe the dedication of Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. And then verses 40 through 52, the last section, describe Jesus as a 12-year-old young man at the temple instructing the religious leaders, teaching the religious leaders. He was at it at a young age. And so that's really Luke chapter 2 in a nutshell. And What we're going to do is examine a small piece uh, within the dedication section because it provides important wisdom these parents, and all parents for that matter, will need to fulfill their sacred mission in raising their children unto the Lord. Please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 24, a very short section. Once more, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. That will be our text for this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the section and then pray once more and we'll get to work, okay? The Word of God says, And when they came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him, that's speaking of Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Stop right there. Father, we come before you once more in prayer, and we are now going to work. We've worshiped you in many other ways, and now we're going to worship you through the preaching proclamation of your word. And the way that we worship you uh, for me is to preach it, and for these others here who are listening, is to listen and, and to pay attention and, um, and maybe to jot down some notes or these sorts of things. But most of all, to hear and do the word. That's the main thing that we hear it and that we do it. That's how we prove that we love you. That's how we show forth our love for you. Um, obedience is key. And so we just pray that, um, uh, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would not only cause us to hear, but cause us to obey your Holy Word. And may you receive all of the glory and praise this morning. We love you so much and pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. There are two primary observations I'd like to make from this text. I'm not going to totally exhaust this text. There's just a couple of observations I'd like to make from it. First, we can see very clearly from the text that Joseph and Mary knew the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. They knew Scripture. They knew what the Bible says, and I would add emphasis here, especially a section within the word of God called the law of Moses. Uh, they, they knew the word. And according to the law of Moses, which they also understood very well, they had to complete uh, some steps here in this whole process of dedication and so on. Uh, they had to complete uh, what was known and is still known by Orthodox Jews today. They had to complete what is called a, or the, purification process. It's actually a purification process, according to the law of Moses, associated with the birth of a child. They had to complete this process before they could actually take Jesus, little baby Jesus, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to dedicate him to the Lord. They had to fulfill a purification process before they could actually even dedicate him. And uh, the purification process is recorded in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. That's a place where we see it. And I'll just, you know, I'll just uh, give you the, the major points of it. And, and this would be one here. When a, when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male child, she is unclean for seven days. And she must remain home for a total of 40 days. So, so, when you're a mom, you're a wife, back in the old days, in the Old Testament days, New Testament days, um, and this, you know, kind of, it, it's not something that, that Christians today have to honor because Christ has done away with it, but if you were around during this day and you just had a child, and if you had a male child, there was differences between female and male children, you had a male child, yeah, you were called unclean or you were thought of as unclean according to scripture for seven days and I think it has to do with blood um, and then you had to stay home you were like on home arrest for for 40 days total you couldn't leave the house and uh, for some of you moms who have had children you're perfectly fine with that you've just gone through a birth and you're like I, I'd like to stay home for a year and not go do anything honey you have to go to Costco again you know because for some of you, the birth of a child was very traumatic and difficult. You had many, you know, maybe a week in labor. I don't know how long. But this was the law. Yes, yeah, some of you are saying a week in labor. I'm mean, here snickering over there like, no, Lord. <laughs> what did we have? Uh, about 20 hours on one of our kids? You know, I, I was able to go eat, <laughs> take a nap, and get divorce papers all on the night our son was born. Yeah. yeah. But literally you had to stay home for 40 days. Now, now the interesting thing is if you had a female child, all of this was doubled. Okay, so that says something about you ladies. There's another divorce. Um, 14 days unclean and double the amount of uh, time at home. Almost double. It was about 76 days at home. Now, now why? I, I don't know. This is, this, is, this is the law of Moses. God gave Moses, the law of Moses, and, and this is just, this is his way of handling things. And so this was a real deal. Now to complete, and this whole thing is the purification process. It's all under that banner. To complete the purification process, the couple had to go to, in the way back in the Old Testament, you'd have to go to the tabernacle, that's before the temples were built or in Jesus' day, you had to go to the temple. So to complete it, in that 40-day period, you had to go to the temple on the actual 40th day, okay? So on the last day of being home, whether you, and 76 days for a female, uh, 40 for a male, on that 40th or 76th day, you had to go to the temple and you had to present a sacrificial offering to a priest who would be stationed at the entrance to the temple. And another thing, too, is during this whole purification time, only on the last day of it, not only could a woman, a wife, not leave home, but she couldn't touch anything holy. She most certainly could not go into the temple or anything. And we even see that reflected here. When they showed up on that last day of that purification process, they had to wait outside the gate and and hand off this offering to a priest to go make it on their behalf. And if... The couple was a, a semi-wealthy, maybe, maybe middle-class or wealthy couple. They would bring a lamb. They were required to bring a lamb. And you can kind of see how Jesus has done away with this, right? Because he's the perfect lamb, right? But back in this day, you had to bring a lamb if you had money. If you didn't have much money, if you were uh, what they would consider poor in that day, then you would bring either a... Either a pair of turtle doves, or if you had even less money, a pair of pigeons. And all of New York would rejoice because they have a major pigeon problem. Uh, And what you would do is you would take either the lamb or the pair of birds, and you would present them to the priest, and then this priest would take the animal or birds to the altar, and he would sacrifice them. He would sacrifice them. And that sacrifice right there of those animals... Would bring to close the purification process for that mom. That was the end of it right there. Also, required in the law of Moses was the consecration of the firstborn. And we read about that in Exodus 13, verse 2. We read about that in Numbers chapter 18, verses 15 through 16. What does it mean to consecrate? Uh, to consecrate basically means to dedicate formally to God, okay? So consecrate means to set aside, to set apart, and to devote to God, maybe to the service of God or to God uh, in some way or fashion, whatever God tells them to do. The consecration of a firstborn animal, okay, so you had to literally consecrate and set aside for the Lord firstborn animals, firstborn children, and when we're dealing with a firstborn animal, that consecration involved sacrificing that animal to God. So you would take that firstborn animal, it belonged to the Lord, you would take it to the temple and have it sacrificed to the Lord. That was the consecration of that. And you might be thinking, heavens, I, I hope that's not what you had to do with the firstborn child. Uh, no, it's absolutely not. God has never been supportive of pleased with human sacrifice. The false gods were always into that. So when you are consecrating a firstborn child, it had to do with paying the redemption price of five shekels of silver. Now, five shekels of silver to us isn't very much money. I don't know what the equivalent would be, but for people that didn't have much means, they had to pay it and they had to come up with it, but it would have been very challenging for some, right? Because you know, if you're bringing a couple of pigeons, that shows that you don't have a lot of money, or if you're bringing turtle doves. But you had to pay this five shekels of silver, and that was called the redemption price. And, and that, uh, that would be how you would consecrate a firstborn um, child. Now, I say all of this because, uh, and I've been telling you this, Joseph and Mary, they, were, they knew the Word of God. They, they knew the law of Moses. They they were familiar with these particular ordinances that I'm telling you. They they knew them. They knew about the redemption price. They knew about the sacrifice. They knew about the purification process. They, They understood all of these things, all of them. They knew the word of God and they knew what the word of God required of them, I think in all matters it's safe to say, but especially when it comes to children and having children. And, you know, like Joseph and Mary, parents who desire to dedicate their children to the Lord must be like Joseph and Mary in that they know the Word of God. I mean, think about that logically for a moment. What good would it do for a parent who does not know the Word of God to devote their child to the Lord? I mean, that, would, that makes no sense. That's like trying to run a car that runs on gasoline on something other than gasoline. You, you, what I'm telling you, parents, and maybe, maybe you're, you, know, you don't have a child to dedicate here, but you're still a parent, but here's the deal. If you're going to commit yourself to raising your child under the Lord part of that commitment has to do with the word of God and knowing the word of God and and imparting the word of God to your child and teaching your child that you can't dedicate a child to the Lord based on God's word if you yourself don't know God's word and we are living in in a in a culture today that does everything backwards and unfortunately this backwardsness is plaguing the church People are getting way out ahead of themselves. I want to dedicate my child, but I don't know the Word. I'd say, let's get to know the Word, and then we can talk about dedication. But you have to firstly know the Word. And, And Joseph and Mary have set a prime example in knowing it for us. So we must, as parents, know the Word. I would say before a parent steps forward... Um, to dedicate their child to the Lord, uh, you know, what, what they're actually doing, when a parent does step forward to dedicate, what they're actually doing is promising to, to diligently teach their child the word. But again, how can they do that if they don't know the word? I would say that a person, a, a, a couple that, that wants to have children, they better know the word before they even conceive, Child dedication is, is, is nothing more than a, a reflection of a parent's regular duty. You don't have, if you're a Christian parent and you have children, you don't have to come forward and go through this ceremony to do this. You're required to do it, whether you do this ceremony or not. So, so firstly, you have to know the Word of God. You gotta know the word. You gotta know the word before you even start talking about having kids. You gotta, if you're Christians, you gotta know the word before you start talking about marriage. And what we have today is a rush, rush culture that's penetrated the church. People are getting married, don't know the word, don't even know how to be a husband, don't know how to be a wife, don't know how to raise children in accordance with what God has clearly said. If we are Christians, it is our duty to know the Word of God before anything else. Amen? And and, and people who don't do this make pastoral ministry miserable because all I do is go around cleaning up their messes. We should know the Word. We should know the Word before we endeavor anything. Why should we know the Word? We need to know our Christ. We say we love Christ. Why don't we want to know Him? The only way to know Him is through the Word. So, they set an example for us. We must know the Word. And I say that precedes marriage, courtship, marriage. Most certainly precedes having children. If you're going to dedicate your kids to the Lord, you've got to know the Word. And you are essentially promising to diligently teach them the word. How can he diligently teach them the word if you don't know it? Uh, wonderful scripture uh, pertaining to um, this responsibility for parents is in Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 11, verses 18 through 19. It says, listen to this. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Talking about the law of Moses, talking about the word of God here, that's the context. And listen to this and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What he's basically saying is the word of God should be before you all the time. And he says, and you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Uh, Newsflash, parents, discipling your child is not done on Tuesday night, between 6 and 7.30 p.m. Teaching your children the Word of God is not something that you just schedule to do every week. It's a good thing if you do that. It is something that you do at all times, whether you're up, whether you're down, whether you're walking, whether you're sitting. This is the responsibility that us Christian parents have to diligently teach our children the word and I would just say once more I know it's getting old how can we do that when we don't know the word how can we do that when we're not getting into the word how can we do that when we let life's busyness take over and keep us from getting into the things that we're supposed to get into from you know engaging the means of grace engaging the word of God we can't do it we can't diligently teach our children, the Word of God, if we are not in the Word of God ourselves. It all begins with us. Amen? It starts with us. You know, you're you're getting, you're getting the cart ahead of the horse if you're trying to dedicate your child today and you are not firstly a student of the Word who is absolutely committed to Scripture and committed to diligently teaching that child. Let's not get anything ahead of that. We need to follow Joseph and Mary's great example. And and by what? What did they do? They studied, obviously. They learned the word. They studied the word. They learned the word. And they knew the word of God. So they had the knowledge of the word of God. That's first. That's what we see here. Second, Joseph and Mary not only knew the word of God, uh, they did something that is kind of hard to find today. They actually obeyed it. Yeah, somebody snickered, and you know what? It's true. And it happens even at this church. And sometimes it happens in my own life. Oh, we're we love the word. We love to hear it. We love to study it. We love to unpack it. We love to divide it. We love to marinate or meditate on it. Some of us like to memorize it. I can't. My memory's like I, you know, I meet somebody, like your name's Bill two seconds later. What was your name again? But when it comes to actually obeying it that's where the disconnect is. I can't get my mind around that, how that works in my own life. Maybe it's just my sinful nature. Now it's not on all fronts. If it was, I wouldn't be able to be a pastor. But it happens. But today what I see in the church is is a hunger for the Word with very little desire to actually obey it. What's that all about? You see, the true people of God Not only want and desire to know the Word, their highest aim in life is to obey it. That's what they want. They want to obey the Word of God. They want to live it out. Why? Because they love Jesus. They want to please Jesus. In some circles, they just want to get stuff from Jesus, and that's anathema. It's because they love Jesus. They know that Jesus first loved them and saved them from the pits of hell. They can't imagine living their life in any other way other than just wanting to obey Him. Not always perfectly. Sometimes it's difficult because His Word can be very challenging. Sometimes we find a scripture. What did we study a couple of weeks ago? How we actually have a tendency to get mad at the Word of God. right? We do. We can actually get mad at the Word of God when it confronts us on certain issues. But they, Joseph and Mary, not only knew the Word, they actually obeyed the Word. Examples. They obeyed Leviticus 12, 1-8. By staying home for 40 days. right? What does it say in verse 22a? It talks about the purification process coming to an end. Then they went to the city from Bethlehem. They went all the way. They traveled all that distance. And it wasn't like they had I-5 or Cadillacs to drive in. It wasn't easy to get around back then. In fact, it was quite dangerous. But they made that journey all the way. That's obedience. They stayed home and, and, and then... They um, Actually, another thing they did here that's not listed in our text, but in the previous text, not only did they obey by staying home and fulfilling part of that uh, Leviticus 12, they also had little Jesus circumcised on the eighth day, if you rewind back to verse 21. So during the purification process, male children are required by the law of Moses to be circumcised on the eighth day. Well, how do they pull that off if they have to stay home? Well, the rabbi would just come over. The rabbi would just go to their house, and they do that even today. So they they obeyed the law of Moses there, or the word of God there. And I already pointed to this, but they obeyed the word of God by actually coming to the temple in Jerusalem on the 40th day to complete the purification process by making the necessary sacrifice. And what does it say in verse 24? What did they offer to what? Pigeons, what does that tell us about them? It tells us that Joseph and Mary didn't have much money. They were, uh, I mean, he was a carpenter. You know, he had a little business. You know, he he would build furniture and gates and doors and things like that. And they just didn't have a whole lot of money. They had to offer kind of the lowest thing that you could offer. They also obeyed Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 15 through 16, which I already cited, when they did what? When they consecrated little Jesus, right? When they dedicated little Jesus to God by what? Paying the redemption price of five shekels of silver. They actually did that as well. So so what I'm telling you is we see that they know the word in part of the section. And then in the exact same section, we see, how do we know they knew the word? Because they obeyed the word. They did what the Word tells them to do. And this is huge for us parents. Parents, we have to not only know the Word, we have to obey the Word. We do. It's something we have to do. Do you know what's really interesting about the ordinance of consecration according to the law? What I find to be very interesting about it is that the law of Moses did not require the presence of the child at the temple when they do the dedication and you might say well that's kind of weird well really for them dedicating their child to the Lord it just had to do with consecrating and paying the fee It's all that's all it included so you didn't have to bring your child all the way to the temple in Jerusalem to do that the child could actually remain at home with relatives or at a relative's home where that child would be safe while the parents made the dangerous journey all the way to Jerusalem, to the temple, to perform the consecration deal and pay the redemption price on the child's behalf. So, so this is something that you did not have to bring your child to. And yet, what do we see Joseph and Mary do? It's not breaking the law of Moses if you don't bring your child. You're just not required to do it. And what they did was they actually brought Jesus with them. They wanted Jesus. And, and I, I've been trying to theorize why. We, you can't even find out why they did it. I mean, this just doesn't say in the text. But I think it's because they wanted to bring. They they understood who Jesus is to a pretty good degree. If you don't believe me, read Mary's song she wrote after finding out she's going to be pregnant. Um They understood who Jesus is in a sense, not all of it, but they understood that he's the Lord, he's the Savior who would come. They get that. They understood um, that, you know, Joseph was not the actual father, uh, that he was a kind of a, a stepdad in a way that Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit. They got that. I think that was pretty mysterious for them. They had knowledge. They understood these sorts of things. So I think they brought little Jesus with them because they wanted Jesus to be in the recognized home of God as they dedicate him to God. It makes sense, doesn't it? We know that he's the Lord. We're going to bring him to the house of prayer. That's what the temple was called. You know, people had turned it into a, a place of commerce, a den of iniquity. But the temple was actually the physical location where God manifested his presence among his people. And before that, it was the tabernacle. And I think what they're doing is they're bringing the Lord Jesus into that place with them. Because he is going to live his whole life unto God. And we want him to be in the house of God when we dedicate them. I think that's what they were thinking there. And yet, if you read a little further down, Uh, You will see the broader reason for little Jesus's presence in the temple, right? There is a a rationale given here. And that rationale is, is, is two people and two names, Simeon and the prophetess Anna. So they bring him there and these two people discover Jesus there with his parents and what? They... They prophesy, and they bless this couple, and it affirms who Jesus is to the parents. Mary stores these things up in her heart. It's really an interesting interaction in the whole section that Bruce actually read. So we see the the divine kind of prerogative with Jesus being there, and that's that Jesus is recognized by an old-timer who knows the word like the back of his hand and these things. Bottom line, Joseph... And Mary, they knew the word, and they obeyed the word. And we see their obedience through their actions. Staying at home, coming to Jerusalem, consecrating their kid, paying the redemption price, offering you know, the two pigeons. They obeyed the word. I mean, they, they set a prime example for us here. And when a parent steps forward to get, dedicate their child to the Lord... They are promising something pretty important here, and that is to be a godly example to that child. Okay? They're, they're promising to not only diligently teach their child, to know the Word and teach their child the Word, they are promising to set a godly example for that child. A great verse that comes to mind is Proverbs 20, verse 7. Uh, It says, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Why? Because that child is blessed because they have been able to see that set of parents walk in the way of the Lord and set a righteous example for that child. Huge. But then a question comes to mind. How can parents set a godly example for their child if they do not obey the word of God? You can't. (laughs) In fact, there is only one way to set a godly example for our children. What is it? It is through obeying the word of God. That is the only way we can do it, parents. It's through our obedience to the word of God that we set the godly example for our children. When we obey the word of God, our child sees a godly example. And yeah, when they get a little bit older, they may not care for it, but who cares? You're still supposed to set the godly example. And yet when we disobey the word of God, our child sees what? A rebellious, (coughs) sinful example. You see why this is so important? You want to have kids? Think it through. I'm reminded of the text of James where it says, not many of you should consider taking up the office of being a teacher. And that's to pastors, essentially, that warning. Because not everyone should be a pastor. Not everyone. And I'm not boasting for myself. Sometimes I wonder if I should be one. But not everyone should seek the office within the church leadership of pastor. And guess what? Not everyone should seek to be a parent. And this culture has told us if we don't have kids, we are nothing. Not every person should get married, believe it or not. Raising children is serious. If you're a Christian, it's serious business. We have to enter into this thing very sober-mindedly. We have massive, as Christian parents, we have massive responsibility with these children and and if we cannot live a consistent life unto the Lord personally, having children should be the last thing on our mind. Seriously. You're thinking, well, how dare you? No, 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 no. I'm trying to spare you from much trouble and heartache. If we are not firstly committed, we're not getting anywhere. You know... The worst thing I think parents can do, I really do. I mean, there's so many warnings in Scripture. Dads are not supposed to exasperate their children. There's there's a lot of warning that you see that in Ephesians. There's a lot of warning when it comes to parents to their children. But I think one of the worst things that parents can do to their children is to demand a high level of godliness for them while they remain woefully ignorant of their terrible, cruddy example. You want to destroy your kid? Do you want to harden your kid's heart against the Lord? Just demand that they live for the Lord while you choose not to. That is the worst thing. You—that That is a Pharisee. Be a Pharisee to your children. Make demands on them that you know they can't reach, but you still have those expectations, while you don't actually live unto the Lord. Nothing will harden a kid's heart faster against the truth of God's word and against his church than hypocritical parents you're called to live a certain way you better live that way long before you have kids long before you get married and when you get married you both commit yourselves to living that way and then when you decide to have children lord willing he gives you children you're living that out and now setting that example for your children Now, since we cannot do any of these things, and I've got more things to list here, we can't do them perfectly. It's okay to be transparent with your children to some degree, helping them understand that you're not perfect and that you don't perfectly obey these things and that there is an abundance of God's grace there for you in Christ. It's okay to actually apologize to your children when you sin and blow it. There's a difference between living as a godly parent. That's what a godly parent does. There's a difference between living like that kind of parent and one who makes demands and has high expectations and yet chooses not to actually live out what they're demanding. There's a huge difference. Hypocrisy is ugly. It's disgusting. It is, I think, the most... Uh, with the, it, it probably comes through pride, which is, I think, the most detestable sin. But hypocrisy is just... That's what Jesus aimed... If if, if Jesus went after anyone when he was down here during the incarnation, it was against the hypocrites, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who made high demands of people while living in rampant sin. If he nuked anyone, it was the Pharisees, the hypocrites. May we not be the hypocrites. May we be fair and right when dealing with our kids and not placing upon them burdens that they cannot achieve Preach the gospel to your kids. That's what they need to hear. They need to hear about the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus. You live that out and you profess that to them and live that out and you're going to do well. You will do well. We've got to follow Joseph and Mary's example of obedience to the Word of God. We have to be, as James said in chapter 1, verse 22, which we studied not too long ago, we have to be what? Not just hearers of the Word. We have to be doers of the Word. And in that doing as parents, we set a godly example for our children. But our doing really isn't just about setting a godly example. It's because we love Jesus. We do the Word because we love the Word who became flesh. Christ. When parents dedicate their child to the Lord, they are basically making a covenant with the Lord. And they are making a covenant with their church family. Because this ceremony is performed in the presence of their church family. And the church family has some responsibility in it as well. And when I say the church family, Family has some responsibility in it, like they're covenanting with us and with the Lord, but we're also covenanting with them. But let me make something lucidly clear here. When the congregation covenants back, reciprocates with the family, they are not vowing and promising to do all of the discipling for their children. Parents today have fully abdicated their responsibility to disciple their own children and handed them off to pastors they don't even know and said, make godly kids out of my kids. And I despise that. If you've ever wondered why we don't have 72 ministries running on Sunday mornings for kids, and for kids that are a little bit older, and a little bit older than that, and a little bit older than that, and then we got our college group back there in the closet. If you've ever wondered why we don't have a whole lot of stuff like that, because we don't believe in abdicating a parent's responsibility to disciple. And what we say is, no, you're not going to be sending your kids to all those things. You're going to have them in the worship center like they used to do. You keep your kids with you. Dave and I were talking about this the other day. You know, this is a, it's an anomaly, but it's a new thing. Dates back to about the 40s with Youth for Christ and, and these organizations, these parachurch organizations. By, by, by the time we hit the 70s, pastors and churches are saying, you know what would be a good idea? Look at how successful these ministries are that go into all these schools and do all this ministry. They're leading all these kids to the Lord and all this stuff. And I did youth ministry for a long time. You lead kids to the Lord, and then when you do the next altar call, the same kids come forward. Are we actually leading them to the Lord? I don't know. I don't think so. But in any case, churches became aware of what these parachurch ministries were doing. And guess what they did? Some churches said, we need to get these kind of youth ministries and stuff and, and into our churches. And they began to hire Youth for Christ leaders and stuff like that as youth pastors. There were no youth pastors in the church prior to 1970. And what do we have today? As soon as you show up on a church campus, everyone goes in a different direction. The parents go into big church. The kids go into little church. It's not even biblical. And what happens... Why does that happen? First of all, I like the idea of a parent wanting their child to have the gospel minister to them at their age and stage. I, I, I like that. But they're supposed to figure out how to do that, not entrust that responsibility, not abdicate and give that responsibility to some guy who wears, you know, jeans are 14 sizes too small. Mine are slightly bigger. Uh, you know, skinny jeans, got the hair and got the lights. I mean, come on, man. We're not supposed to abdicate our responsibility. We are the disciple-makers. And, 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 and the, the, the body here covenants with the family to support, but not to take that responsibility and do it. Does that make sense? So when I say we covenant, and I'm going to talk about this, when we covenant with them, we're not saying I'm going to raise your kids for you. We're saying we're going to support you as you raise your kids. It's your responsibility to raise your kids. It's your responsibility, parents, to teach your kids the gospel. It's your responsibility to discipline your children the way the Lord disciplines us. It's your responsibility, and we will support you. But I'm not doing that for you. I won't. How many of you have a hard enough time doing that in your own home? You want to try to start doing it for everyone else's family? Amen? That might have been the most wise thing I said all morning. I mean, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and I I, I just knew that parents put it all on me. And when I didn't do things the way they wanted, or they saw behavioral issues at their house, who did they come after me me, yeah, I will never ever ever I can promise you this, and I'm not a never i'm not a I don't usually say never, but I will never be a youth pastor ever again, and you're thinking, well, you don't have to, you're a lead pastor at this church, no, you know- you don't know, but I will never do it again, why because I don't believe in it, I don't believe in it, it's an abdication. Now, we bring into the house of God. Uh, We're the house of God, literally. We bring them into the worship place to worship with our children. This is what we've been trying to do since day one. We've had this conviction since day one. And we don't care if kids scream because I'm louder. We've never had a problem with that. I can just out-scream them, right? I mean, if a kid's going, ah, I go, ah! You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. So, let's go over some things here. When when parents dedicate their children to the Lord, they are making a covenant with the Lord and with their church family to do more than five things, yes, but I'd say five things for this morning, all right? Number one, they are promising to know the Word of God, to obey the Word of God, and to diligently teach the Word of God to their child, right? That's what they're promising to do. We covered that. Number two, they are promising to set a godly example for their child, right? We base that on... Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 7. We talked about that. It's not just about diligently knowing and, and, and obeying and teaching. It's also about setting a godly example. Number three, here's where we get some new ones. They are promising to continuously pray for their child and intercede on their behalf. This is huge, and this is the one area of strong weakness with most of us. We don't have much of a prayer life and yet, as parents, we are to be praying all the time, not just for us, not just for our neighbors and everyone else, but really for our kids a lot too. And sometimes we got to be like Job, and we got to intercede on their behalf. You know your kids are sinners. Amen, parents? Pray for them. God, I know my children have sinned against you, and I lift them up to you. God, be merciful to them. Open their eyes and their minds to the gospel. Intercede. On your children's behalf. Amen? Number four, parents who are dedicating their child, they are promising to train their child in the way of the Lord. And that really has to do with grounding them in the scripture, right? And a great verse for that is Proverbs 22, verse 6. What? You train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise. That's a proverb. But it really does work. If you train your child, in the way of the Lord, that is something that they will never fully depart from. And if they do seemingly depart, they may come back to that training later on. But train them in the way of the Lord in accordance with Scripture. And lastly, number five, parents who dedicate a child are promising to discipline their child as the Lord disciplines His children, right? Us, you have to discipline your child what does that mean whoop their butt every time they do something wrong no not necessarily i've had to do that maybe five times in my kid's life notice that only five times and one time i did all three at the same time all three of them had tore stuff up and i said you drop your pants you drop your pants you drop your pants and they were like and they were all leaning against the bed and i had a belt and i went bam 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 and they went like that all three of them they stopped Oh you you whip your child you're you're a child abuser whatever My kids are pretty well behaved. Why? Because Rachel and I disciplined our children as the Lord disciplines us. The Lord does not the Lord loves his children enough not to spare them the rod of his discipline. He will discipline us. He will, and that's because he loves us. And so they are promising to discipline their children as the Lord disciplines us. Great verses on this would be Hebrews 12.6 and Proverbs 13.24. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves his, uh, whoever, uh, loves his is diligent to discipline them discipline is something that we must do the lord does it for us and parents must do it for their children and it comes in different forms sometimes you got to you got to step it up a notch because of what they've been doing i don't know i I don't come from the timeout generation so i don't understand that does that work no i don't know it's not we got our butts whooped that's all i know you know and 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 that kept us from going a little bit too far we would take it to the edge like, if we went right here, we would be right here. But if we weren't here, that's butt-whooping. So we'd go right here. We'd be on the edge going, e-, you know. We did that. That's what kids do. But I don't know about this time-out thing. Maybe that works. I don't know what mode of discipline works. The idea is just when your kids sin, lovingly call them out on it and preach the gospel to them. And I, I, I would think that some sins are going to warrant higher levels of discipline, Right? I mean, look at how the Word of God is structured. If you stole a loaf of bread, you would get in a lot of trouble for that. If you did something else, you would get executed for it. Not everyone got executed for doing a minor offense. Our discipline should be structured after the Word of God. If your kid does something insane, you know what I mean, like burn half the house down, that's 40 minus 1 lashings. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's like, what are you, a pyro? I mean, what have we got here? What have we created, Rachel? You know, it's probably you, babe. I don't know. I don't know. uh, But they're just different levels of discipline that you utilize. But don't, 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 don't let your children get away with sin. Don't let them do it. You know, the church has church discipline. We can't let sin exist within our congregation, among our members, because once it's there, it becomes like a cancer and it spreads and it, it destroys. Nothing will kill a church faster than sin. Nothing will divide a family faster than sin. Nothing will destroy a family faster than sin. And so take sin seriously in your own life, parents, and in the lives of your kids. But don't be a brutal taskmaster. Be like the Lord, right? The kindness of the Lord leads people to repentance. Remember that. But Sometimes you've got to whoop some butt. You never know. Um, and it's important, I think, that all of us as parents, especially those who are going to dedicate, realize and recognize that all of these promises that we're talking about here, they can only be fulfilled in the strength of the Lord. Okay? And, and, and when you feel like you're failing at this, it's probably because you're now operating in your own strength. We have to learn to operate in the strength of the Lord. It, it, it is Christ in whom we can do all things, right? Philippians 4.13. So actually executing on these promises, we need the strength of Christ. So at this point, I'd like to invite... Uh, the Brewers and the Rogers to come forward. These are our victims. I mean the people we're going to be dedicating. Bring Bring that little chub monster up here. This guy right here is big. He's so cute. How many of you like chubby babies? They're pretty cool, huh? Well, this guy's Club Super Chunk. Yeah, I need Tom's bicep to hold him. That, that would be awkward for you to be dedicating your kid while Tom holds your kid. <laughs> Talk about abdication. Tom's promising to raise my kid for me. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> to, to raise him, yeah. All right, so I'm just going to ask you guys some questions, okay? And you are to reply, I do or we do, okay? Provided that you're going to do this. All right, look at little Everly. How old is she now? like a month? Wow, man. That's crazy. So here's the questions I have for you. Uh, do you promise to know the Word of God, to obey the Word of God, and to diligently teach the Word of God to your child and you know children? You have a couple of them. Do you promise to do that if you do say, we do? Okay, good. Step one, check. That's the old big valley coming out in me. Check marks. Number two, do you promise to set a godly example for your child? If you do, say, we do. Number three, do you promise to continuously pray for your child and intercede on their behalf? If so, say, we do. Yeah, good. Do you promise to train your child in the way of the Lord? If so, say, I do, or we do. Okay. Do you promise to uh, discipline your child as the Lord disciplines you? If so, say, I do or we do. do. Okay. And and I would say this, will you endeavor to fulfill these promises in the strength only Christ can provide? If so, say, I do or we do. Okay, good. Because you know you're not going to get anything done without Him. So the Brewers and Rogers have agreed to the terms of this dedication covenant. It is now time for the congregation to covenant with them. And as I said, this is not abdication. This is support. Does the congregation promise to help these families fulfill their sacred mission in raising their children under the Lord? If so, say we do. do. And will the congregation do this by supplying these families with godly resources, godly counsel, Um, godly accountability when asked for or necessary if so say we will perfect perfect so it's time now to invite bruce and uh, cameron to come forward a couple of our elders and we're going to just pray for these families in just a moment and before i have them pray i'm going to have them sign on the dotted line Both of you will need to sign that, and you're going to keep this. It's just a reiteration of what I just said, the promises that you've made. And you'll be able to keep that, and you can frame that and put it up in your child's room or wherever, and it can be a great reminder for you how you're to be raising your kid unto the Lord.